Welcome to SKUcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs in the promotional products industry. SKUcast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SKUcast is the official podcast of Common SKU. I can tell you with 100% certainty that none of our clients are buying from us because we're offering them the absolute lowest price available. In, right. in fact, there's only one distributor out there selling at the absolute lowest price. And chances are, if he or she continues to be the lowest price distributor, it's unlikely that he or she will be in business for almost 25 years as we've been. It is our hope with SKUcast that we bring you a balance of both strategic and tactical topics. Today's discussion is most definitely tactical, inside sales secrets that lead to growth. Our guest is Mitch Silver of Printable Promotions. Mitch is the Vice President of Marketing and also the Chief Architect of their website. Printable Promotions has been recognized three years in a row by Counselor Magazine as one of the best places to work. And this year, Mitch was recognized as a finalist for Advantages Magazine's Sales Rep of the Year. On Tuesday, July 11th, we will be hosting Common Skew University at the ASI Chicago Show. Mitch will be joining us for our panel session, The Path to 10 Million. Guest panelists also include Menda Wright and Ann Vidro of Creative Studio Promo, Johanna Gottlieb of Axis Promotions. You can learn more at commonskew.com slash university. I think that the idea behind a referral program, it's, it's sort of critical to get to the buyer right after they've had a positive experience. In addition to topics like referrals, we'll talk today about responding to emails within an hour using power of tagging to build a marketing database, Uber-like sample delivery appealing to millennials with a see-it-before-you-buy-it like Warby Parker experience and more. This episode is brought to you by CommonSkew, an effortless business management platform that empowers you to process more orders and handle more business. For your free trial, visit CommonSkew.com. Here's Mitch to kick off our discussion about what inside sales means to his company. We are an entirely inside sales organization. Um, While we have sales reps who are capable of meeting with clients face-to-face outside the office, we've consciously chosen to keep our model inside, which allows our sales team to have as many opportunities in a day to contact multiple clients and help them with their promotional needs. So for Principal Promotions, building a strong inside sales organization was always in my and my brother Scott's plan, who's my business partner. Uh, We figured out early on that while someone doing outside sales could maybe make three to four calls a day or so, uh, someone doing inside sales can correspond and interact with 10 times that number of clients. So the inside sales model also allows us to you know, hire a different breed of employee, and that's been important to us, uh, different than the type of employee that other distributors typically seek out when they think of a sales role. Um, our hires did not have, they, they don't have to have outside sales experience. They don't even have to be good at cold calling. They just have to have the right attitude to fit into our culture, um, be someone who's comfortable building relationships, and be a strong written communicator with a moderately strong attention to detail. Strong written communication skills. That's something that has definitely transferred. I mean, 20 years ago, the sales rep of the day had to have very strong verbal skills and very strong strong presentation in-person skills. Fast forward to today and over the past decade, probably the past 15 years, strong written skills have been of primary importance. Yeah, I mean, it's so critical to our organization that we actually have part of our hiring process. We ask uh, applicants to do a typing test. Because, uh, you know, if I type 25% faster than you, I'm, you know, 25% faster at making contacts with clients and having a chance to build that relationship. So, um, you know, I would have to say that this relationship building part is probably what our best sales reps have seemed to master. You know, and we've seen this over 24 years of reps coming and going. 
You know, and I think this inside sales success really begins with a strategy for building client relationships. So over the years, I've, I've come up with what I call Mitch's hierarchy of building client loyalty. Uh, it goes something like this. Um, level one of the hierarchy, if my only correspondence and connection with a client is via email, that relationship is not solid and can be tenuous. Um, what I mean by this is, you know, if there's ever a situation where competitors are introduced or there's another shiny object that pulls my client in a different direction, the loyalty is just not there. And then we move on to level two of the hierarchy, which is if I'm able to talk with my client on the phone on a regular basis and build a relationship through business building conversations and even some personal conversations, those distractions and competitor noise start to go away because now we've begun to relate to each other one-on-one, which makes saying no to me that much more difficult, which leads us to level three. So if I'm actually able to meet a client in person, which doesn't happen all that often because we do inside sales, I'm able to connect with them on a deeper one-on-one level and strengthen that relationship. So at, at this level of the hierarchy, I mean, it's very challenging for a client to say no after they've made this face-to-face connection. So when they say no, they're now not only saying no to a salesperson, but to someone they actually know. However, and this is where I think we've figured things out, as an inside sales position, you know, we're not able to get to that third-level hierarchy because I just told you we don't meet with clients very often. So we needed to develop approaches and methodologies that help us get the feeling that the client gets from a level three interaction, but without actually making the extreme time investment it takes to build a face-to-face relationship. Tactically speaking, what are those? Um, you know, this, this feeling of this relationship building, it's always in our crosshairs. It, it really... It's, it really is the foundation of the things that we do. You know, in, the, in today's fast-paced world, it's often difficult to get a client on the phone to build that level two phone connection. You know, many of the younger buyers today are less interested in talking to a business-to-business provider. Um, so we have to resort to emails or primary method of communication. But that still leaves us at level one. And, and frankly, it's, if you can't talk to someone, it's very hard to break through. So how do we get that feeling associated with that connection without actually talking to the person? Well, one of the things we've learned over the years is that the law of reciprocity really does work. If you share with others first, they'll share back. And here's how it goes. So, for example, if I email a client and I say, hey, I just got back from a great family vacation. I took my kids and my wife to Portland and Seattle. I've attached a picture for you to take a look at it. Have you ever been to Seattle and Portland? Oh, and by the way, what's the next vacation that you have planned? What's on your travel bucket list? And then, at the end of the email, I sneak in a business-related question such as, P.S., when is your next event at which you are marketing your brand through custom products? Is this in the prospecting phase, or are you talking about it in the early phases of a client relationship? Where, when, are you, when are you deploying a tactic like that? Um, typically, it's when I've had some interactions with a client. Um, I think it's a little bit difficult to put yourself out there with reciprocity if you don't at least have one correspondence back and forth with a client. You're talking about nurturing a relationship with someone. This is this is how you would take this is how you would Correct. nurture a relationship with someone. Correct. I mean, it, it would be awkward if that was a cold call or a cold right. Email. Sure. Correct. Okay. Right. So this is right. someone who we who we we have in our database. We've sort of primed them with some marketing. We're just trying to further the relationship. Right. So. You know, when I ask that question about the marketing through custom products, I'm more likely to get an answer than if I just ask the question directly. Hey, do you have anything going on right now? So two things are happening here. Number one, my client's getting to know me and my family via picture. And if we've learned anything from Facebook, we know that everybody likes to look at photographs. 
And this sharing that I've done opens the door for them to comment about my kids and my family and the vacation spot that I chose. Now the dialogue is blown wide open because based on their comments back, I can ask about their kids, I can ask about their family, I can ask about where they live, where they want to travel to, and the tone of the relationship changes from a B2B business transaction to a relationship that's more like buying from an acquaintance that you like. And we all know in sales that people tend to buy from people that they like. So and the second thing that's happening here is, and this is the reason we're all in business, is that I'm learning about my clients' marketing needs and how I can help them. So hearing about one marketing need typically opens up the door for another one, and I can ask questions such as, what other events on your calendar? What's the price you target for your gifts? How many typically order? Who's the target audience? Et cetera, et cetera. And there's an even greater benefit to hearing the answers to these questions. I'm now able to determine the quality of the lead based on what they tell me back, and I can assign them a status code in our order management system. I'm also able to determine the ways in which they use promotional products. So for example, business gifts, trade show, meetings, recognition. And I already know what industry they're in. And then I've asked our design team to scope out their logo color and try to find a vector version of their artwork. I know what industry the client's in, I know how they use promotional products from this exchange. I know the quality of the lead. I know their corporate colors. And in some instances, I might actually have their logo. Oh, and by the way, all this is in our order management system. So fast forward to the next business day when the next vendor comes through our door, asks for a lunch meeting, and says, here's a great product that comes in orange. It's perfect for the construction industry. It's a great giveaway at trade shows. Well, now I can run a report of all of our clients that meet those criteria because I've entered that data that I found out in the order management system. And then I could ask our design team to put together a virtual that product and share it with the client. And all of this snowballed simply from sharing that picture of my family standing at the base of Multnomah Falls in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> I'm oversimplifying the process, but I think you get the point. Mitch, I've known you for a long time, so you and I go way back. We've shared tips, best practices with each other for a long time. The skeptic will hear this, and someone that doesn't know you might think, you know, this sounds contrived, but really, I know you, and you're not that way. You're really just trying to be human. What you have done along the way is you've found more a formulaic equation that you can help with your new hires to understand how you can open up, how you can be, be yourself to buyers so that you can open up the relationship. Correct. Yeah, and I, and I think it's not for everybody, but if you're finding someone in the recruitment process that's comfortable sharing and comfortable building relationships, I think this all comes fairly naturally to them. Yeah, um, I'm just simply suggesting one of the approaches that we take. In order to duplicate this success, I would assume that you would have to have a very apprenticeship-style model of training and recruiting so that you can transfer these types of tactics without it being contrived, without it seeming formulaic so that it is human and natural. Yeah, and I think you make a good point. I mean, I could see how someone from the outside looking in could see this would be sort of contrived. I mean, and to a certain extent, it can be, um, you know, in, in the same way that we create email signatures in response to client questions. I mean, I am sure that we've all been asked the same thing over and over again by a client. You know, what information do you need from me to place the order? Well, I need your quantity, your color, your imprint color, your ship to location, et cetera. So if you create an email signature for that, you've got the opportunity to then just use that time and time again. What you're really trying to do is what all really good salespeople do is they try to remove the defense mechanism so they can have a real conversation. There's another angle here I just want to explore. I mean, there's a couple things you could do. I mean, a typical response from a client back to a, an attempt to make a sale is, you know, thanks, but no thanks. But even when I send 
I get emails back from my clients and it's a thanks but no thanks. I'm going to actually try to milk that interaction for another piece of information I can then later use in the sales process. So let, let me give you an example of that. Um, if the client says thanks but no thanks, I might reply back, hey, while you're pondering the next time that you and I get to work together, I'll be sitting here playing with my Pez collection and I'll be dreaming of my Chicago Cubs winning another World Series championship. Oh, yeah. by the way, do you have any collections, hobbies, or favorite sports teams? I mean, if the client replies at all, which they very often do, I make note of their answer in our order management system. This way, when a future opportunity comes up to give a gift to the client, I'm able to make that gift more personalized and individualized yeah. with that information. And if they happen to mention their favorite sports team is an NFL football team, we've got a stash of mini figurines of football players in our office to send out. And guess what yeah. I include with the, with the mini, mini figurine? A Pez dispenser with my business card. You know, when the, company's, the client's ready to order, they're likely to call the company that sent them the Atlanta Falcons figurine to sit on top of their TV along yeah. with a cute Pez dispenser than some random internet distributor. Yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing, Mitch, because this, this conversation is about to go off the rails here. There was a time where I was talking with a prospect once, and it was a potential seven-figure program, and the prospect that I was talking to was just a team member that represented the committee. And we had a very good dialogue. We kept having a very good dialogue because he joked early on that the committee had a decision-making process that was akin to the gestation of elephants. And <laughs> because that sounds of like that, 15 months. Yeah, and because of that, we were able to use that as a departure point for every single piece of conversation going forward. And all it really did was just help everybody laugh and and remove any concerns or qualms. I mean, when you get down to it, people buy, they make decisions emotionally, and they justify decisions rationally. And so um, I, I love what you're saying in terms of helping remove those defenses so you can have real conversations with folks. So tell us what a day in the life looks like to this inside salesperson. So, you know, we were very fortunate. We were very early to Google AdWords in the late 2000s. And um, we built up a pretty nice-sized database by focusing on three campaigns. Uh, and I'll, I'm happy to share those with you. So one of the campaigns was for Post-it notes. Another one was for... Um, Nalgene bottles. And the third was for, at the time, a very, very cutting-edge technology product. You may have heard of it. It's the USB drive. Okay. And by building up our database of people who are interested in those three products, we really have a nice size cushion and group of clients that an inside salesperson can call on. So the typical day usually revolves around, um, you know, Using this database I described, which you can slice and dice the clients in to determine industries or product usage and things like that. And so if, if I say today is going to be my day where I'm going to focus on the real estate industry, I can run a report of my real estate coded clients whose logo might be blue and are interested in trade shows. Trade shows. So once I've got that data, I can then use our design team to create virtuals of products I think will work. I can copy and paste links from our website to that client and share ideas. Um, and really, all of this is designed just to get the client to raise their hand a little bit. Because as I've just shared with you, once you get your client to raise their hand a little bit, you sort of open that door to that level three connection. And so, um, you know, some of the sales is reactionary, but frankly, we try to be as proactive as possible. Because um, when you control the client's needs proactively, uh, it leads to uh, bigger sales. It leads to better margins. 
Um, and as we all know, uh, mar- uh, sales feed egos and margins feed families. So proactive is yeah, much better yeah. than active. So, and how, what is that, how is that tactic? What are they doing? Are they emailing? Are they calling? How are they reaching out to these folks? There's a fair amount of support that the, the sales team gets from our marketing team. And so um, there's a quarterly campaign schedule which uh, details out um, some email contact points, some direct mail contact points, some virtual contact points, some actual spec contact points. And so um, a lot of that work that the sales team doing is, is sort of following up on those opportunities that fall out of that marketing. So let me guess at this then, Mitch. You've got a quarterly marketing campaign that you create and build that helps trigger then follow-up, uh, and it's a strong outbound direct mail type outreach? That's pretty much it. I mean, we're rarely contacting clients not in our database. Um, we feel like there is so much more meat on the bone when it comes to marketing to existing clients than yeah. sort of starting over from scratch. Um, you know, the logo's on file, the credit's been cleared, the relationship has started. So we tend to do more with our existing clients. Uh, than reaching out to brand-new clients who have no idea who Principal Promotions is. Yeah, and as we know, it's much easier to grow existing clients. That's the fastest way to, to profit than trying to seek new business. How does this quarterly campaign tie back to your original comments on the USB drives? And Were those part of your original, your original campaign ideas? Well, I think we were intrigued by the, you know, the early nature of Google AdWords, and we saw the potential for it. So, you know, we invested pretty heavily early on to, you know, to get those phone calls and get those orders and then really just put those people into a nurturing program where we have, you know, eight to ten touch points over the course of a year to continue to stay top of mind to them, you know. Okay, you use Google Ad programs literally to target those particular products and to find buyers for those products. Once those buyers came into your system, then you nurtured those into larger clients. Correct, and yeah, and that that second, third, fourth purchase really had nothing to do with that initial purchase, just that they had a good buying experience from us, and it was positive. Right, awesome. Are you still running Google Ads, AdWord programs now? You know, it's definitely been a different playing field in 2017 than it was in 2007. Um, You know, it's a lot more competitive. It's a lot more expensive. So we've really... But we've been fortunate. We have a big enough database that we don't have to rely on that for incoming business. Uh, the other thing okay. is a strong referral program that you know helps us you know keep growing the business. So we do not. In fact, as of three months ago, we canceled it. So uh, we are not doing wow. anything more online. Ever. What does your referral program look like? Any any tips you have on, on developing a strong referral program? I think that the idea behind a referral program it's it's sort of critical to get to the buyer right after they've had a positive experience. So. We've got a. We're really using Outlook in a very unique way. Um, you know, there's a feature called Delay Send, which simply just schedules the delivery of an email for a later date. And so we know through our production teams follow up when an order is going to ship, when it's going to arrive based on the tracking number, and then we set a series of delayed emails to follow up. Hey, now that you received the order, how did everything go? Just want to make sure it went well. Oh, by the way, if you're happy with your experience, could you share the name of a colleague with us? And that 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 uh, sharing the name of a colleague is via a link, which rewards them for recommending somebody by giving them a free gift. Uh, that free right. gift, of course, since we're in the business, is imprinted with our logo on it. So it might right. be a power bank, it might be a swell water bottle, um, you know, things that have some value that would encourage somebody to share that information. Are you using any of the common SKU tags for tracking? Yes, we, that's we're using the tags, which we, we used to call sort codes, but yeah, that's how we're marking 
which industry someone's in, what their logo color is, the quality of the lead, how they use promotional products, yes. Can you explain how you're using tags in Common Scheme? You know, for every client in the database, we've got them segmented by the quality of the lead, the logo color, how they use promotional products, um, things like that. And so each client is tagged with that data, so we think then we can run mailing list reports or email marketing reports to pull that data. I think it's a simple concept of garbage in, garbage out, and then if you're not actively asking clients how they use promotional products, it's very hard to do any supplemental marketing. You kind of have to have that data as its basis. So we may actually, um, maybe once, if not twice a year, would actually reach out to clients and say a simple yes or no. Do you buy business gifts? Do you buy awards? Do you buy wearables? Do you buy trade show gifts? Do you do meeting gifts? Do you do golf outings? And then when we get those yes-no answers, we simply use those tags and common skew to mark that client. So the next time we go to do marketing for a golf outing, we know which clients actually do golf outings. That's fantastic uh, because it truly is garbage in, garbage out. And the intel that you're building into your existing client framework, I mean, this is what's the, one of the biggest challenges in the industry is the variables are so overwhelming. You have so many products. You have so many categories. You have so many different clients with so many different needs that you have to use something like tags. And I'm not just pushing common skew here. I'm really talking about this from the perspective of somebody who's been in the business a very long time, who sees client opportunities go by the wayside all the time, who sees competitors come in, who see, has these conversations with customers that sound like this, oh, I didn't know you guys did that, you know, those frustrating mm-hmm. conversations. You're battling that in a very strong way, and it takes a lot of work, but it sounds like you're making a lot of progress with it. Yeah, I mean, I would have to say we have several secret sauces. That's probably one of them. In fact, we have all these tags and codes up on a giant whiteboard in the office, and we typically give vendors that come over a tour of the space, and we mention that. And and they have similar reaction to what you had, Bobby. They're all kind of like, wow, hmm. And they pause a moment, they scratch their chin, they're like, wait a minute. So I can show you a product that works for HR departments um, and rec- as a recognition award, and you immediately can pull a report of who might be a potential buyer. I'm like, yeah. They're like, well, let's do some virtuals, let's do some specs. I mean, you're already halfway there. And it really is a competitive advantage, but again, it takes diligence and commitment from the entire organization to put in those tags. I would also assume then you have some strong supplier relationships because that's the kind of information they're craving as they walk into distributorships. Yes, we do. I mean, you know, certainly that they've withstood the test of time. You know, we're going next year will be our 25th anniversary, and we're, you know, still working with a lot of the suppliers we started with on day one. You know, we talked a bit about relationship building and how that's one of the cornerstones of building an inside sales organization. I think the other thing is you need to make it really easy for a client to do business with you. You know, we continue to strive to create as frictionless of an experience for a client as possible. You know, one pain point in a promotional product purchase interaction can be product sampling. And in my opinion, you can't sample a client too much. I mean, they get to see the quality of a product firsthand, then they get to show their coworkers if it's a group buying decision. I mean, the images on our website really rock. We spent a lot of time tweaking them to be high resolution. But frankly, a picture doesn't always do a product justice. So for clients that have been properly qualified and vetted by our sales team, our sample policy is incredibly liberal. Any sample, any dollar amount, all shipped by ground service at no cost. So besides the sampling, to make things frictionless, and I think you mentioned this at some point, Bobby, is being incredibly responsive to clients. So people don't want to wait for answers these days. They want things now. They're used to a, you know, uh, a microwave, and they're used to um, uh, experiences that, that go very quickly. So we respond to emails within an hour. 
Um, we fill those emails with links and answers to clients' questions or product suggestions. In fact, just this morning, I had a chance to pair our liberal sample policy with incredibly fast responsiveness. A client in the Chicagoland area was asking me to quote a thousand grocery totes for delivery in two weeks. So I digitally shared two ideas with her that I thought would work. And it was a smaller bag and a bigger bag. And in response, she said, hey, how fast can you get samples of those two options? My reply back was, would today be soon enough? And she responded back with a bunch of exclamation marks, oh, my God, that would be great. So I then had our production manager pull the samples from our sample room, arrange for a messenger to bring them her way. The messenger might have cost 20 25 bucks, but it was an easy decision to make for a highly qualified client whom we've already vetted with a project that likely has a return of over $600 profit. So this Uber responsiveness has been a key to our success, and it takes away any edge that an outside salesperson has by meeting with the client face-to-face. So, so speed, r- removing the friction. Um, we talk about disruption. We talk about Amazon. We, we throw around these big threatening words, but when you get down to it, a B2B buyer wants their life to be effortless, and they want it to be frictionless, and that's what you are trying to achieve. Yeah, in fact, at some point, uh, probably about five years ago, we toyed with this idea of coming up with a tagline that was like, you know, we'll make you look like a hero to your boss. And I think that yeah. really sort of encapsulates all this. Really, all these people want is an easy way to get this off their desk because let's not flatter ourselves. Ordering promotional products is probably not the most important thing this person is doing all day long. So right, anything right. we can do to make that easier for them is going to make them a hero. You know, and I'm sure he's not the one that originated it, but that's a Seth Godin quote who said, what is B2B buy? B2B buy is something to tell their boss, which maybe that doesn't sound real glamorous, but that's, that's so true. Totally. Um, and, you know, corporate buy safe, too. And what you're doing with the sample, or liberal sample policy is eliminating those risks. I know there's a lot of talk within our industry about millennials and sort of, you know, what are their buying habits and what are they looking for? And one of the things I've noticed, because we have a few on our team, is that, you know, they're looking for the type of experience they have um, outside of work. You know, when they come to order promotional products, they want an experience which is a see-before-you-buy experience like they've had at Branders for years, like Custom Inc. does really well with T-shirts. So we'll actually have in-house designers who will take a client's logo and digitally mock it up on our 10 best-selling products at the request of a salesperson and then share that and sort of hopefully, you know, get this idea of see it before you buy it. And then this puts us at a real even playing field from all those amazing tech players online, which we just can't compete with so our labor costs are higher because it's a human that's doing the, the mock-ups, but uh, I think it does put us on a level playing field. In fact, I would even argue we're on a higher level playing field because if the virtuals are done proactive rather than reactive, we're now controlling the discussion. We control yeah. the sale. We control the margin. What percentage of your virtuals are done proactively versus reactively? I would say yeah. probably 40% proactive, 60% reactive. That's significant. That is significant. It is. I mean, you know, I think our, our unique selling proposition is this ease of transaction. And if if we can offer the sales team the support of in-house design team to help them make the sale in a pre-sale way, I mean, we've just yeah. given them a huge jump on success. With your sales team, what are some of the failures and successes you've had in aligning uh, compensation structures that would promote strong sales and strong selling skills? I mean, that's, that's a great question. I mean, we, you know, 
for forever, we didn't want to be that distributor that offered a commission split without a base salary to our employees. You know, living in today's day and age, life is just expensive. You've got cable bills, you've got cell phone bills, you've got connectivity bills, you've got all the normal household bills. And it's just impossible to make a living if you're not getting some constant flow of cash. So we've opted to have every single one of our employees actually as employees. So they're paid a salary, uh, and, the, and the sales team is, is salary plus bonus for progressive sales levels reached. Is that monthly, so I would weekly, say, quarterly? Bonus? Quarterly, quarterly. We feel like, okay. you know, I, I, much like most people do, the month is, could be a blip up or down, but the course of three months is, is enough to see a trend. Okay. Uh, so I'd say the average salesperson could probably earn up to 50% of their base salary in incentives when you add up the four quarters of the year together. Okay. And interestingly enough, we rarely worry about margins. I know that's a big topic, but the reason we don't worry about margins is because our website is our central sales tool, and it's stocked with products from our preferred vendors with whom we receive special pricing. So if a salesperson is able to consistently sell from the website, he or she will be selling at a strong margin. You know, and as yeah. a company together, our average margin is six to nine percent above the industry average. You know what's uh, great about too this inside sales that we're talking about is as you are monitoring the average margin per client, whether that's quarterly or whether that's every six months, because of a strong inside sales program, you're able to have the discussion with your team. Oh, hey, we need to increase the margin on this client a little bit, and it could be because you're servicing them a lot heavier with some creative that you're not charging for. But you're able to actually do that, and if you're analyzing it, having that dialogue, it just makes for a much more robust profitability structure. It does, and, and it's, that strong margin really gives you a lot more elbow room to do nice things for clients, like I mentioned before. You know, we talk about building relationships and, you know, we're doing quarterly gifts. We're doing personalized gifts based on the information we learn about the people from that email I was talking about. And I can tell you with 100% certainty that none of our clients are buying from us because we're offering them the absolute lowest price available. In fact, there's only one distributor out there selling at the absolute lowest price. And chances are, if he or she continues to be the lowest price distributor, it's unlikely that he or she will be in business for almost 25 years as we've been. This has been great, Mitch. I'm super honored to be part of this, even to be considered to be on a, a, a skewcast because uh, I've always had a huge respect for you, Mark. I think uh, I'm a rabid fan of the things that you put out, and it's always great. Thanks, so, man. True Thanks, honor. Man. Thank you so much. Yeah, Mitch, thank you. Uh, It's been a pleasure knowing you through the years, and I look forward to working with you more, and thanks for all your insight and being so generous with your advice. Thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of SKUcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to SKUcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonsku.com. Until next time, friends, thanks so much for listening. Thank you.